The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, the show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by my fine co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are continuing and sort of wrapping up our pre-close of the comp coverage of IF Comp 2021. Um, so uh, if you are not uh, used to our comp format, uh, we t- typically do a number of episodes before the close of the comp where we just sort of share the uh, the games that we're playing and have you know our, our impressions as we go. Um, but we've also been uh, tending to do a little bit of a loop around and uh, cover the comp after it closes as well, usually to wrap up and talk about any high-ranking games that we didn't get a chance to cover, as well as just talk about the results and, uh, and what we think of the comp for the year. So that's still to come, um, but that where that comes in our schedule can be a little more flexible. Uh, this is our last episode of Game Impressions Before the Close of IF Comp 2021. About that, the comp closes on November 15th, so remember to get your votes in. Don't be like some people... Uh, certainly not me, never been me, uh, who play a bunch of games and then forget to enter your votes on the ballot form or, or procrastinate on doing such a tiny and simple task. Make sure you get your I votes have, in before the close of the comp. <laughs> I, I have never forgotten to put in my votes. I simply withhold my votes because I feel that my position as a journalist is too powerful. <laughs> and uh, that therefore sure. putting my thumb upon the scales of the interactive fiction competition would be unfair. Dear listeners, we do not agree with Shane's approach. Be a no. judge. Be the jury. <laughs> be the executioner. <laughs> that was an old, like, a, kid, a kid's book series when we were growing up. Be the judge, be the jury, where there were court cases and you had to figure out who did oh, it. Oh, I just thought you were doing a Judge Dredd bit. No, I mean, sure, let's say that's <laughs> what I was doing, rather than making an obscure reference to books that have probably been out of print for a decade. Mm, probably more. Um, so we've got uh, this week we've just yeah I know we're all old uh, this week we've just got four games to tell you about um, I, had to, I had to google it the first the first one that comes up is the Lizzie Borden trial be the judge be the jury <laughs> paperback it's from January thing. 1993 <laughs> see there are tens of us your references tens. are sick <laughs> hey thank you Laura they become relevant later on when I discuss the Tumblr game. So let's keep going. <laughs> good, good. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you had a, a game plan with that. Um, so I played two games, both of which I'm quite enthusiastic about um, this, uh, for this episode. Uh, and uh, they're both on the meteor side uh, of the things that I have played for this year's comp. The first game I played was What Heart Heard Of Ghost Guest by Amanda Walker. Uh, So this is Amanda's first piece of interactive fiction, according to her blurb in the game itself. 
Um, she has some nice, you know, notes there talking about uh, her inspirations and and thanks to everybody and whatnot. This is a game that is uh, based partially on uh, a poem by uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, where the title comes from, uh, and the poem is in the game itself. It's very nice, um, and it is very, very much a work of uh, gothic horror. Um, so this is a parser game, uh, and uh, the the description on the page, which I think is worth reading, uh, starts with the first two lines of the poem. Margaret, are you grieving over Golden Grove unleaving? Come home to Golden Grove, a beautiful old house haunted by a lost soul. Uncover the secrets of your tormented past in a tale of unrequited love, jealousy, violence, betrayal, and vengeance. What Heart Heard of Ghost Guest is a puzzle-driven, parser-based, gothic horror story with a unique command set. And it gives the content warning, this uh, this game contains violence and child abuse. Uh, which it does, but it's not especially distressing. It's very much in the gothic horror vein. Mm-hmm. So if that's the sort of genre you can get down with, um, I think that this is uh, not the sort of thing that's going to, to you know, really upset folks. Um, although it does have some grisly imagery here and there. Um, this is a game about being a ghost, uh, and it's a limited parser game in that you, being a ghost, you don't have many of your traditional parser interactive verbs. So you can't, while you can go north, you cannot get lamp because you pass right through things. Uh, you can't pick things up. You don't pass through doors, importantly, um, because opening doors is a big part of the puzzles in this. Uh, no explanation given as to why this ghost can't pick up objects, but or can't cannot pick up objects, but also cannot pass through doors when she wants. That's funny. I was actually completely okay with that. Um, partially. Shall we speculate on the uh, theology of the doorknob ghost? Why, why <laughs> I mean, I think, think there's. I think if you really want to come down to it, this is a game all about uh, captivity and uh, being trapped uh, and the sort of abuse of that. And so, uh, you know, maybe it's left its psychic scars on our poor ghost uh, protagonist. So, sure, why not? This is this is not the sort of thing where we need to dwell on that. It's important for the puzzle design anyway. I didn't realize um, that this. I didn't realize that this was a first time author, and I, I would you wouldn't know by playing the game. But I, I right. think the unique set of verbs is a fantastic workaround for not knowing how many ways someone will try to break it because um, as you are collecting emotions that you can use to haunt different things and achieve your puzzles, uh, if you do try other words that are in the normal parser language, you get really unique answers. Um, And I love that the ghost limitations also feels like a really wonderful workaround from keeping you from doing something not accommodated by the game. It's one of the the most generous fallbacks. And if your parser game does not include a are you new to interactive fiction and let me explain to you how this game works, I will – I'm going to say it. I will downgrade you a point. Like <laughs> you should be doing that by now because every, every time I do it, it has filled me with love for the genre and I read it every time because even though I've played a million, I don't know what you think is standard. So please, this is my call out to authors. Tell me up front what your help guide is and let me skip it if I want, but I never will skip it personally. 
yeah, this is that was a very nice feature here. And this is a very well-designed game for potentially new parser players. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree, like playing through it, it, I didn't think this was probably a first-time author until I read the artist author blurb at the end and she specifically noted that. So um, uh, I agree. It's extremely, I think, technically polished. Uh, and uh, I think it's a it definitely functions well as a piece of gothic horror. It has the sort of uh, plot and genre tropes all over it. Um, I wasn't particularly surprised by its story. I won't I won't spoil it here, but I wasn't particularly surprised by any of the elements of its story. It's sort of kind of beat for beat the kinds of things you expect once you know the the broad strokes. Um, but I thought it was well carried off. Um, the thing that that Laura was mentioning a moment ago about the uh, the parser, um, you know, this is a limited parser game in that it has this very very specific set of verbs. Um, it does that really really well, and it tutorializes how that works really really well because the very first few moments of the game, um, you know, you you awaken in this place. You're in a you're in a dusty room. Uh, you can't remember why you're there. Uh, you're finding that you you know you, you have. Uh, a strange feeling. You can't touch things. And, uh, uh, there is a mirror there. And then when you look at the mirror, uh, I'm just going to read, I took a couple of screenshots of this cause this is from the first couple of moments of the game. And I think it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of how, how these verbs in its strange parser are introduced. Um, so, you know, there's an old fashioned mirror and you look into the mirror you can see the curtains, the chest, the shadows reflected in the mirror, but nothing else. You move a little left and right. Why does moving feel so strange? And the mirror continues to reflect only the room around you. And suddenly you feel something, fear. You have a distinct memory of fearing and avoiding mirrors. And this emotion crashes over you. Fear mirror, fear mirror. The mirror explodes into shards of glass that fly towards you. You cringe and duck with that same boneless feeling, but the glass shards simply fly through you, hitting the floor behind you. Behind the mirror is a locket necklace, which, you know, anyway, you that's a verb that you've now learned, and it, it tutorializes it by, you know, you sort of find a place or object that you have a, a profound emotional connection to. And the game does this fear mirror or excite locket is the next important one uh, that comes up almost immediately thereafter. And then you've got two verbs and the verbs are always, you know, uh, verb, which is an emotion and a single object. And so you've got this very simple parser. There's no like, you know, uh, insert red key into skeleton lock or whatever. It's uh, it keeps the parser very simple. Um, and it does some nice stuff as well in just terms of the the, the sort of uh, puzzle and world design because uh, when you're completing puzzles in this, a lot of them have to do with unlocking doors in this large house and the doors are all very unique. So um, all the doors are color-coded in a way that you know, it, it, it sort of nods to, uh, to you know, this being part of a decor style, but it's also very... It helps a lot with puzzle design. You know, you can remember, okay, I'm still trying to get into the orange door, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. So it's, I think, very, uh, very well designed. Uh, I would say this is like, this is like a really strong one of these while also, I also was left feeling like sort of warm, but not hot on this one, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of it is just because like, while this really, really went in for its, uh, its genre tropes, it's, you know, the gothic horror is not a particularly like exciting genre for me personally. And also it, it really was 
playing to the tropes to the degree that like I, I felt found a lot of it sort of unsurprising. There's a there's an ending that I, I suppose is sort of meant to be like a like a, a reveal. Um, but you know, you or at least I saw it coming from a mile away and and um I, I didn't have much of a emotional response to it. Um so from a fiction standpoint, it is you know fair to good. Uh from a puzzle design standpoint, it is pretty simple but also pretty darn good. Uh, and technically, I think this is really, really well done. So um, I think this is a really great first work from this author, and I hope we see more from her. And um, I would definitely recommend checking this out if gothic horror is your thing, or if you like ghosts, uh, or uh, if you just want to play something that is a, I'd say, light puzzle uh, that you know has a good spooky mood to it. I do think that there's a huge benefit to what can sound like a word substitution puzzle. Like, sure, fear could be shatter. But I think it's much better when you're role-playing as a ghost to say fear, you get this, you know, it it really contributes to the haunted feeling and the first person effect of mm-hmm. it because it would be much easier to be like, cool, you learned the word pull or like, great, now you can unlock doors. Like, that's never how the language works. It's much more immersive than that. And I think that um, I don't know why I've been reading more Gothic fiction this year than I normally do. Um, I think because I someone recommended Mexican Gothic which is kind of one of the hot books right now and I wanted to read something uh, more classic before I um, – read that. So I read seven Gothic tales. And I think one of the things is, um, the more in an environment you can be, the better. And I think that Mm. that's what this game really settles into. It's, um, the house is a character. It sounds like a cliche, but the house has to be a character or it's not a Gothic piece of fiction. It's just one of the tropes. Um, Mm -hmm. that is done exceptionally well, which honestly, like it seems another given like, it's an interactive fiction parser game. You should understand what the environment's like. But because it's a lot more immersive with the substitution of the words for emotions, because you're a ghost, you have a different way of experiencing the environment. I think that extra step really helped make this feel more special than just a haunted house exploration game. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's also, the just talking about the house, it's blessedly simple to navigate. Mm-hmm. One of my big pet peeves with um, with parser games in general is when the uh you know surely the the author really really understands the complex layout there's something to be said for a little bit of a maze right but i'm always happy when i don't have to draw a map honestly me too i did not have to draw a map for this never had a question whatsoever about where i was very simple layout to understand yeah in your head it depends but especially for these shorter games in the comp uh it it Mm -hmm. it is a barrier when you're kind of back-to-back sessioning these things uh, to to have one of them really necessitate pulling out a piece of paper and a pencil? If it's yeah, the point, totally. sure. If it's not the point, if, if mm-hmm. the layout of the space is your eighth level of puzzle, I don't want to have to draw a map. If it's the first one oh, yeah. or it's the main point, yes, I'll happily draw one. So if you do yeah, have and, a spatial and, reasoning puzzle, I'm fine. Yeah, and I think if there are, there are times where they warn you in the description too, and if that if I'm warned up front, no problem. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. if we get into it. Yeah. And if you do have like a complex layout and you don't particularly care if somebody draws a map, um, please, it, like it's puzzle or parser games that include the like go to room type of command, which this did not. This has, uh, I think, a very nice um, hint and help system. 
uh, but it does not have that, uh, although I, I looked for it. But um, games that include the sort of like, you know, go to room kind of verbs uh, that will do the navigation for you. I always super appreciate that when it's there. One of the things this kind of reminds me of, and I just kind of want to know if this is a part of it. I really like games that feature ghosts. And I, I just kind of want to know if you're actually haunting people or if you're more or less alone in this house. Like, are, are there people to scare? Is, I guess the question I have. So scaring people is not your goal. There are people in the house, but for reasons, uh, until m for most of the way through the game, uh, you are avoiding people. Uh, and it doesn't, doesn't have a whole lot of that as like a activity. You're mostly trying to explore the space and find, um, objects that unlock your memories. Um, there are some people, but it, they mostly only play into sort of the climactic finish. So there's not so much haunting, Although I guess that is technically there is, but not not so much. After you get out of the very first room, you can hear footsteps and noise downstairs, but that's not something you want to investigate. You you want to stay away from that for now. So it, it is an, an avoidance at the beginning. So stick with haunting, starring Poltergeist. <laughs> I do also just want to drop uh, a, a like thumbs up for you know I, I, you see this a lot I think, but um, uh, this. Uh, sort of is structured around a poem that's quoted at various points throughout the game, including at the very end. And it's Spring and Fall by Gerard Manley Hopkins. And um, this was not a poem I'd ever seen before, and I like it a lot. So I just thought I'd give a thumbs up to that aspect. Um, very nice. And I definitely see how it wove into the, uh, the, the story of the game. In this house, we love a radical Victorian. <laughs> So I think our next game was uh, something you played, Shane. Absolutely. Um, I only really got the chance to play one game this week, and I'm really glad that I picked the one that I did. This is Fine Felines by Felicity Banks. Oh, I wanted to play this one. Yeah. I wanted to make time for this one so much. It looks so it neat. Is, it's terrific. It is terrific. It is. Uh, so the part of why I picked this one, um, I was still coming down off of the uh, funicular simulator game that I played for our last episode on IF comp. And uh, this game, at least in part, also uh, purports to be a simulator. It's sort of a, a cat breeding business management sim, if you'd like. <laughs> but in reality, it's not that at all. It is Well, it is that. But more than that, I should say, it is a story about uh your character who you get to you get to choose aspects of the character like their name and the um you know gender and so on and but they're a, they're a 24 year old who has um inherited ten thousand dollars and wants to start a successful cat breeding business and um the but the the actual story i found to be very um uh it was beautifully handled and it was actually a very weighty story the the game um it's it's a very uh kind of a bittersweet story about uh kind of loss the the main character has just spent um several years assisting the you know their mother who has had a long uh protracted illness that resulted in her death 
which is very recent. So it's the it's the inheritance from the mother is the ten thousand, and and also the house in which uh, she lives, um, and in addition to that, the main character has also kind of towards the beginning of the story receives a diagnosis of fibromyalgia, which is a kind of debilitating chronic illness. Um, so the, the choices that you make are, you know, sometimes a decision that you might see in a business sim, like, you know, do I buy the small, medium or large pack of cat supplies, you know, and you're watching and managing your money and things like this. And, uh, by the way, this does have that, um, it's written, I think in choice script. So it has that, uh, Mm-hmm. screen that all of those seem to have where you have the sliding bars that measure things like how much money you have and in this how empathetic you are and how much your neighbor hates you <laughs> i love i love choice script games that yeah th- that aspect of it is very well done um and it is also i think ex- extremely well written um in terms of just the sensitivity that it brings to the material um and the um, just in general, I think the quality of the writing is really good. Felicity Banks is definitely not new to writing interactive fiction. I think she has had um, five or six years worth of games, at least it on the IFDB website. Uh, but beyond that, she's also a novelist with also five or six actual um, novels in print. So, you know, this is this is I, I think it's always a blessing when people bring that um, kind of level of experience and skill to IF comp and, uh, give us things like this. And then there's one more thing that I, I have to mention about this game, which is that it is beautifully illustrated with adorable cat pictures, just so many cat out pics. so many cat pictures. Um, hell yeah. So one of the main decisions that you will make as you get started in your cat raising business in creating your cattery is um, choosing which breed of cat you would like to breed. Um, And there was like bangles, which are the, you know, those are the tough to raise uh, part wildcat style cats. And uh, but anyway, the one that I picked um, was a kind of cat I had never heard of. I do love cats. I do not have a cat. I would like to have a cat. I'm allergic to cats. Um, Me too. This kind Genetics. of cat is called a ragdoll. Mm. Have you ever heard of a ragdoll cat? Not until nope. this game. They no, neither had I. They're apparently called ragdolls because when you pick them up, they go they go completely limp. Which is well, that's just... exactly what you want in a cat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much. That I want to have one of these cats, and they're just they were just the sweetest, cutest cats. They had the little black faces or brown faces and and flo- floofy white bodies, um, and uh, the. I, I I I have almost never been so emotionally invested in the success of like one of these. A lot of times when you play sim games, you're you're in it to kind of fuck around. Like if I'm building my um, if I'm building my theme park in Roller Coaster Tycoon, I explicitly want to launch people over the park into the vacant lot nearby and see them die. Um, <laughs> You monster. I was incredibly emotionally invested in the success of this cattery. 
I just Google image search ragdoll cat and look at these babies. They're so fluffy. I I played a little bit. I didn't finish this one, but I I chose one ragdoll and one of the short hairs. Um, And I chose the sweeter ragdoll, the dumb sweet ragdoll. And I, the short hair, you don't have a choice. Um, you must choose Taylor Swift. And you are warned if you do not buy the nice cat carrier that she will pee in it. And she did pee in it. But I was like, you're not going to pay an extra $50 for the nice <laughs> cat carrier. Um, but it, it meant that I got a nice moment where I, I got to slowly introduce the two cats to each other. And then, like I got an achievement for getting two cats to get along, which I don't think huh. you do if you buy them together from one of the breeders. Um I was very invested in my two little kitties. I would like to know that when when your first litter came in, I I have one of the most charming things is um, you can give all your kittens names. Um, And so, of course, I wanted to name each of them individually. You you can also pick from some pre-selected names, but I I could not accept that. I don't know. Laura, did you name your kittens or did you uh, use the names that were built in? Oh, I I had a huge conundrum because my cats were from different breeders, so they inherited names like Taylor Swift and Princess Anna. So I only mm-hmm. named all of my cats after famous female royalty. Um, because I just like <laughs> rounded up Taylor Swift because famous royalty like Taylor Swift. Gotcha. Understood. Well, I figured I needed to do like divas. So like the Taylor Swift kids were all like. Divas. It was like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> and like I went that way, and then I did royalty for Princess Anna's kids. How about you? Um. So the 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 cats the uh, the the mama cats did come with. Sorry, I learned some cat breeding terminology. The uh, the queens. The, dame, the queens. The queens. Once they have bred, they are called queens. Um. Uh. Kept their original names. Uh. But I named the. Uh, first litter of kittens, uh, Hop Frog and Busker, and I named the second litter of kittens uh, Tigger, Illrigger, Clarion, Old Dirty Bastard, and Felice, Felicity Banks. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> after, all right. I'm going to come to you the next time I need to name yeah, a pet. Yeah, I, I need you to name all my pets, please. <laughs> I love naming pets. It really is. This was a, this this was one of the, the, the primary pleasures of this game was getting to name virtual cats. I was supposed to name all of these under musical royalty or actual royalty, but I did name one of the cats Dame Maggie Smith because <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also worth mentioning. I really liked the um, the way that it integrated the romance options into the story. Um, each of the diff- when you when you begin investigating the the possibility of uh, breeding these cats, you go around to meet local breeders and uh they are the same people from whom you can buy your queen cats uh which the the fact that they are queens implies that there could be a hive to me i i anyway the um the queen cats that you get them from uh these different very colorful characters and your um your player character can be male female or non-binary and there are uh, male and female romance options. Um, and I thought uh, that that was really well done. I, I liked I liked the uh, romance options that were available. Um, and I, I also personally really thought, um, like, so the, 
you know, I, I have a personal, I think everyone has personal stories about, about death and illness. And I thought that this was exceedingly well handled and very, very, um, uh, it was a primary theme in the story and it was done very, very well. So, um, I think this is just one of the, it was one of my biggest surprises for this competition because it I really was going in expecting to um, like really care about how much I was spending on treats and I sort of did, uh, but it was, it was other things that I cared about much, much more. I also know that uh, full city has made a spoiler filled cheat sheet for people who want to know how to achieve certain goals or see past not taken. Um, once I finish, I will probably look, there's no, bad endings, but you can see how much variety she's built in. And I appreciate that because, um, especially when you're like us and you're trying to play as many games as possible, it's good to know how much more content you didn't see. So you can play it again in the future or encourage Reagan to make different choices so we can see how the Bengals turn up. (laughs) Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I wish I'd made time to play this one. It, I actually played the first maybe 10 minutes or so of it, um, but I tr- I, was, I booted it up on my iPad and then I forgot about it and it refreshed the page and I never went back to it, you know, one of those sorts of situations. So this was definitely on my like top list of things I wanted to spend some time on and probably will before the actual close of the comp, but couldn't squeeze it in before this uh, this episode. So I'm glad somebody did. Yeah, on a technical level, uh, some of the tools that people use to make these things will keep your place when you act, when you refresh the page or navigate away, and mm-hmm. others will not. Twine, Twine has I, gotten a lot better about that. I don't know what this was using, but like, um, I've I've been having really good experiences with that with some of the more modern modern web based tools. Yeah, this one was was Choice Script. Yeah, you can save, but I don't know if it's automatic. I always I always like when they um, so like uh, when you play parser games via the like click to play option on the the, the they're using uh, i forget what it, what it's called but it's the electron based uh, uh parser based tool um and i really appreciate that you know it it lets you save and it just saves a file so if you're on a device like you know whatever whatever you're on it just gives you a file i never really no matter how good it is i'm never really going to trust a game save that lives in browser cookies no matter what i just never trust it I've had too many times where where they disappear. So the idea that like, you know, some of these systems at least will let you just like have it spit out a file that you can just put in your Dropbox or whatever. I so much prefer that. I wish even things like Twine would just like, let me save as, let me spit out a file. Anyway, um, Laura, I think you have our next game on the list. Yes, and it's another choice script game. So I played A Paradox Between Worlds by Autumn Chen, uh, who's done a number of uh, different games on IFDB. I believe this is one of her first comp entries. At least it's the first I've played. Uh, I didn't notice any of the others had submitted, so apologies if I mistook that. But um, before I get into this review, how familiar are you two with Tumblr? Tumblr stuff. Minorly. Okay. Yeah, most of my Tumblr experience has been like, yeah, exactly. Links to Tumblr threads from Twitter is most of my experience with Tumblr. Wonderful. I think this game will still work for either of you. But if you are a fandom person or have been through uh, Tumblr drama of the past, 
or fandom drama, you will recognize a lot of the in-jokes in here. I think otherwise you're just going to be like, ah, it's it's another internet world I'm stumbling on. But um, I'm just going to say upright, if upright, sure, outright, that's that actual word, um, say outright, if you are a Tumblr person, especially if you um, have been through Harry Potter trauma, through, trauma, through Tumblr stuff, uh, this game is going to hit home differently. So what's it actually about? So A Paradox Between Worlds is in a uh, f- fictional fandom about the Nebulaverse, um, World of Mages, uh, you actually can take personality quizzes to sort your to find your element and your role. So it's basically <laughs> like, and they have full quizzes. the The author has made you know if you don't know which element you associate with, go take this personality quiz, and you go take a quiz off site, come back. Very Pottermore e, you know, very Sorting Hat. Um, so I, you know, you find out that you are, you know, an auger of metal or. Uh, what not. And the idea is that you are moving back and forth between reading the canon, reading the book that the fandom is based on, actually reading pages of it. And there's no choices really in those. There are a few choices after a while, but you're kind of just reading the book and making choices about the character. And then you are at night, uh, you can choose if you are past midnight sneaking in your room computer if you have decided to be in the family living room on the only computer in the house waiting until everyone's gone to bed or if you're hiding on your phone in your room and you go on Tumblr because that's where you have this online life. And one of my favorite things in the avatar creation is you get to pick your URL and you can choose if you want something that's related to the game. If you want something related to you, you can name it. Um, I chose an alternate hobby, and holy cow, these are brilliant URLs for Tumblr creation. You can choose, you know, the first four are Nick Carraway's Defying Gravity, Eclair de Lune, which is what I chose. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you know, there's Moonlight Sonata, Planes of Elysium, Destiel, John Locked, and the TARDIS. So some of these are fandom jokes, and some of them are just normal stuff, and I I. F- if you have not, if the words Destiel, John Locked, and the TARDIS don't mean anything to you, bless you, because you have so much of your brain free for other things than I do. <laughs> I, I, I did not appreciate how many of the words in this I caught. Um, yeah, I'm a little anyway. less connected to this stuff than I thought, because I'm pretty sure I'm having a stroke or something. <laughs> I don't understand a single word you're saying. Okay, well... Um, I suggest if anyone is um, completely lost that they put the words Tumblr drama in quotes and search because there are several wonderful posts outlining all of the dramas that have happened on Tumblr. Um, oh, yeah. It, th- those are always entertaining to me. I've um, I've never just straight up Googled it, but I'm on a couple of there's, – there's a subreddit that I like a lot. That's called, I think it's called uh, Hobby Drama. Yeah. And it's basically a place where people go to like write lengthy explainers for drama within very specific subcultures, uh, explaining the uh, explaining the controversies to people outside those subcultures, mostly for sort of like, uh, you know, rubberneck entertainment. And um, uh, yeah, Tumblr uh, is a frequent subject there. And for good reason, it's full of uh, really, really heartfelt drama. And again, none of this is required. It's it's. A lot of this is 
what you need annotated has been annotated. For example, when, when you're doing the avatar creator, the first and you get post to pick seems what to be about a, hu- a, a Tumblr user stealing human bones. bones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal. Um, yeah. That was a thing. I would like to know more about that. Sorry, go That's ahead. another, yeah. Bones, I did not see a reference to the the human bones, but that was a big deal. That was a big time on Tumblr. Um, anyway, all of, there are references to things on that giant list that show up in this game. But again, you don't have to know it. It's just fun. So what I mean by the annotate things is, um, for, you choose your blog's focus, what you normally reblog, um, cause you're re, you know, basically retweeting, you're reposting other people's posts during the game and you choose up front what you like doing. And they explain like you can, you know, do gin, fandom posts, shipping, you like romance stuff, meta and depth analysis, you know, sympathy posts, validations, like reminders to hydrate, that kind of thing. So they do a good job of explaining the lingo, even if you don't participate. Um, so I've explained two of the worlds, reading the book and like reading Tumblr posts from different blogs and reblogging or liking or, you know, sending your friends messages about Tumblr discourse. The third thing you're doing is writing your own fan fiction. Um, and you've come up with a fan fiction that is a portal fiction where you're going from one fan fiction trope to the next. So you're like, the people go through a portal and they're in the coffee shop universe or they go to the portal mm-hmm. and it's your characters in space, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's layers and layers and layers of fandom stuff. Un- it's all fun and games until basically J.K. Rowling enters the picture. Um, and Dun, dun, dun. And... You know, makes transphobic comments. So the author in the no. game posts, you know, enters the discourse and suddenly the fandom takes over. So all this affects your friends. This affects the posts. This affects the, you know, the what clearly veiled Dashcon. I don't know if I have time to explain Dashcon, but I'll explain the game first. And if you want a Dashcon primer, I will explain oh, it. There's um, some wonderful YouTube videos full of – um schadenfreude about Dashcon. Yeah, Dashcon was TumblrCon, and they try to run a NebulaCon, and they say things like, NebulaCon's going to have a ball pit, and it's all references to this other fandom drama. Anyway. What I'm realizing is that everything that was uh, happening on Tumblr has just been copy-pasted to TikTok now. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there's yeah. no, but there's no index, and it's less literary, folks. Um, anyway. You have to be able to dance. It's like if Tumblr Tumblr required you to be able to do voices and dance. Yeah. There's virtually zero dancing on my TikTok for you page. Ah, bless you, Shane. Well anyway. curated. Well if, done, Shane. No, it's the algorithm. This is not a hugely long game, but it seems enormously complex. There's multiple worlds. There's multiple ways of interacting in the world. But it feels much more like being online the game because you are moving between, you know, perusing someone's work, looking at social media posts, trying to create your own work. And the stats are all game-related stuff like – there's a system in the game where it's like color coded for lenses. And so all the stats are in the color coded. It feels like fandom dial turned way up, but for a fictional universe. So you don't have to really know what's going on. 
And you can choose how good of a person you are. You can choose if you're going to, if your friend is reaching out or if your friend is posting, like, do you reblog transphobic content? Do you try to ban talk? Do you try to yell back at people? Do you stay silent? There's all these decisions and it's all hammered down to, do you like reblog message somebody? It's all told through social media. And I don't think anyone's done that this complicated in a game before. Anyway, I clearly loved it. I think this is fine if you're not extremely online as well, but I would love someone else to tell me if that's the case because I was seeing, you know, Harry Potter drama in here and weird Tumblr flashback drama, but you also can, do you keep writing your fanfic once stuff goes down? Do you keep posting once stuff goes down? Like it's up all on you. Like, do you step back from the fandom? Do you keep engaging? It actually makes a good case for both being the right choice, which is not always the case in games like this that have a strong opinion on what is right and what is wrong. Hmm. That sounds really interesting. And I, I, I noticed a bit of an uptick in the last couple of years in games uh, that are using interactive fiction as I think a really the ideal format for sort of telling the stories of the uh, of internet culture. You know, I, I'm thinking back specifically about last year's um, entry from uh, uh, Naomi Norbez. Oh, what was that called? It was. Um, I haven't I haven't played uh, their game from this year yet, or they games they actually have two that are like a linked pair, and I'm looking forward to trying them and haven't didn't get a chance to give them a shot in uh, in you know in time for this year. But last year they had one that sort of uh, told a, a story of um, uh, it told a story basically through the lens of like a relationship that that came about on a sort of approximation of Neopets. Um, and had a lot of the sort of Neopets, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, stuff. And there's other games in the comp even this year. So I, I really think that uh, interactive fiction is kind of the ideal format for telling online stories. And as our generation is getting to the age where it's, you know, our generation that came of age online uh, is getting to the age where that's something that we feel a drive to do. I, I kind of. I mean, we're seeing more of that, and I hope we do see even more because I, I think, you know, the, those are stories that need to be told. And how can you tell them to someone without giving them sort of an approximation of the internet, you know? And if anyone was curious how my blog turned out, if you were following me, uh, 29% meta and 17% shit posting. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff. That's, that seems low. It was a very low amount. Um, I think I felt bad shit posting while people were having feelings. But at the beginning of the game, before things turned sour, I was just retweeting shit posts. <laughs> Man. Reblogging should post rather. So I, if I did it again, I feel like it would just be meta and shit posting, and we'll see how the game ends up. But that's super interesting. That yeah, that's that's really 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 neat that it gives you so much of the Tumblr experience in this uh, in in this piece. So absolutely, uh, and potentially a good transition here uh, is that the next game on our list. Uh, the last one that I played for this year's comp, uh, you know, ready for time of recording, um, was another game that sort of uh, takes place in and around the early internet. 
uh, and that is you are spam zapper 3.1 and this one was easily the biggest surprise i've had in the comp this year and while it's hard for me to really do like a rank this is this is maybe my favorite thing i've played so far in the comp this year i really 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 liked you are spam zapper 3.1 i want to recommend it to everybody you have some caveats about that it's not perfect um and i think it could use a, a little bit of an edit but there are uh this is this was such a surprise and um so i'm going to have to do my best not to spoil just absolutely everything about it um, but I want to tell you about Spam Zapper 3.1 because I, I had such I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, you are Spam Zapper 3.1. First off is a twine piece. This is by uh, developer Leon Arnott. I looked at their uh, Twitter and IFDB, and I I don't think this is their first interactive fiction work, but I'm pretty sure this is their first time in the comp. Um, and uh, according to their their uh, their page, I was not familiar with them before, but they are uh, they're a developer and also a contributing developer of Twine itself. Um, so, you know, this seems to be uh, uh, somebody who really knows their way around Twine. Uh, and this was, this was maybe the most, though, like, meatiest, lengthiest, and m- most involving uh, Twine story I've read in a long time. So there's a really big Twine story. I think altogether it probably took me four hours or maybe even longer to get through, uh, which is unusual uh, for games in the comp. Uh, but I was quite glad that I did. Um, it on the face of it, it looks like a joke, right? Like scrolling through the comp page, this sounds like it's a setup for a purely comedic. I would kind of expect kind of light experience, and also it says uh, it's a two thousands workplace dramedy. Uh, an hour and a half wrong. This took me longer than that, and uh, choice based. True. Um, the the summary here, the description on the on the store. I mean, on the uh, the comp page. Uh, all caps, uh, by the way. Distinguish truth and scams in over 130 unique emails. Protect the inbox from urban legends. Exchange witty repartee with your plug-in co-workers. Cross swords with a deadly email worm. Learn way too much about your users' friends. And then it has quite a lot of content warnings. Parental abuse, fundamentalist Christianity, anti-technology conspiracies, social anxiety, depression, mockery of suicidal ideation, mockery of Christianity, online identity theft, uh, non-consensual mind control, and toxic parasocial relationships, all in this 2000s workplace dramedy about a spam zapping plugin for an email client. The only warning that matters there for me is uh, 2000s workplace dramedy. (laughs) I can't watch The Office again. (laughs) Uh, This game begins with you are... Spam Zapper, right? You are this plugin in an email client uh, installed on a on a year two thousand PC, and uh, it is your job uh, as the Spam Zapper plugin to evaluate emails as they hit the inbox uh, to decide whether they're spam or not. You have a uh, you have a sort of an inbox interface. You can choose an email. You can read it. You read at the bottom of the email a little bit of uh, text where Spam Zapper is responding to what he has read, and you can choose to approve the email or to zap it. Um, That alternates with more narrative sequences in the game that are more about uh, Spam Zapper exploring his world. Um, And the thing that really surprised me the most about this that I can talk about without spoiling anything at all is that this game takes its conceit that this piece of software 
uh, one of a whole bunch of pieces of software on this very old PC uh, in around the year 2000, uh, has a thinking mind and is, in a sense, a person. It takes that conceit, which seems like it's a pure comedic thing, right? It seems like it's just going to be sort of playing the, like, uh, Wreck-It Ralph or, or Toy Story card, right? And no, it takes it very seriously. Um, the, the game is funny throughout, but it also is not afraid to try to treat its ideas as real science fiction conceits and try to... T- try to try to tell a story within that world uh, that makes at least an effort to make sense uh, and have real characters in it. So Spam Zapper has an, a really good arc in this story. Spam Zapper, you know, begins this story uh, as a bit of a mess. Uh, it, they, they are a, uh, uh, they, they, they're depressed. They hate reading emails the only uh, the only light in their life is when they receive emails that are coming from the user's friends, and they can sort of vicariously live through those messages. Um, they're in constant fear that if they make the wrong call, the user is going to delete them, and they will cease to exist. Um, just constant anxiety, fear, um, uh, alternating with disgust and uh, sort of. Uh, haughty uh, distaste for the junk mail that they're constantly forced to muck through, right? This this character is really vivid, um, just constantly feel. And, and then into this picture comes uh, a second character. There's actually a lot of characters in this, um, but the other sort of key character that in, you know, intrudes on Spam Zapper's world, the user installs a second plugin and or a, a new plugin called New Email Chimes. And new email chimes, uh, their job is uh, to make various sounds when a new email arrives, things like you've got mail or a quacking sound. Uh, and this incredibly uh, jolly coworker wants to make friends with Spam Zapper, um, and Spam Zapper is uh, just too much of a complete mess uh, to have uh, interpersonal relationships with any other piece of software. That's the sort of inciting incident. But this goes places. There are so many little plot threads that get threaded together. The user has four or five uh, fairly close friends that they're carrying on email conversations with, each of whom you get a real sense of their personality as the user discusses things like um, uh, animation, which is a huge hobby for the the, the user, uh, and you know other personal stuff. Um, and just have, having these like very heartfelt and personal and also just sort of uh, hobby related discussions with their friends uh, and the content of those emails and also the content of the spam emails plays into the sort of um, interpersonal drama that's happening inside the computer between spam zapper and their coworkers. Um, you know, you're, you know, you're constantly finding, e- and then occasionally you get like, weird like hypercube style spam emails that are just uh like conspiracy theory sounding crap about the nature of consciousness but wouldn't you know it actually kind of explains why you're a thinking computer program like there's there's this really interesting like back and forth between both the actual good and also crappy spam emails that you're having to sort through alternating with the the story of of spam zapper interacting with their colleagues um and then the the overarching plot um has 
uh, it, it, it's willing to go there in terms of like if it if you're going to take this idea seriously that this is a world in which um, computer programs have their own interiority and, and their own lives. Well, what is the ultimate extension of that? You've got to have some interaction between uh, between software and people, right? And it's not afraid to go there. Um, what happens when that starts happening? That doesn't happen on your computer. It happens to one of the friends, and so that gets brought in. And you're and there's this uh, this uh, impending tragedy that's happening out there in the real world that the spam zapper cares deeply about and wants to help prevent. And so there's there's this this fairly lengthy struggle for them to try and figure out how they, as a bunch of very limited computer programs running on a single night, you know, 2000 era uh, computer uh, in an email program uh, can have any effect on the real world to, you know, to essentially try to save a life, right? Um, how can they? And uh, the way they get to that was actually pretty pretty circuitous and full of ups and downs uh, and a little bit thrilling. My biggest complaint about this is that I think it is too long. Um, like I said, like I, I didn't time myself. I read this over the course of several sessions, um, just leaving a browser tab open the whole time. An hour and a half is, I think, a vast underestimate. And I, I would suspect I spent almost four hours uh, making my way through this thing. And I think it could have lost one of those hours. There are some mid-game stuff that uh, feels like set up for an ending that never happened. Like reading this game includes some uh, some like author's materials that uh, that tells about some of the process. And I, I think there's there's some pretty clear like um, it feels a little overstuffed in the middle. Uh, I think the game would have been better served by being an hour or so shorter and cutting some of the material that felt like it didn't didn't even didn't not just didn't belong but sort of felt like it was building to something that didn't end up really being part of the story so there's there's definitely some uh some issues here i would say power through that stuff because it actually has a really powerful ending um, i i was i was kind of moved which is really weird to say about uh a game where you play as a spam zapping piece of software um so i cannot recommend this highly enough it's weird it's it's kind of uneven. It's too long. It's got some weird junk in it. Um, some of its sci-fi conceit, uh, you know, it's it's like it's self-consciously like pretty silly, right? Like there's no good sci-fi conceit for uh, for like why does a computer program have a soul or whatever. But um, but it has an explanation that it throws enough mumbo jumbo on to to like slide it past. And uh, in, in a way, it reminded me. Um, I was talking to Shane about this a little while ago, and we were. T- uh, she and I are both big fans of uh, a sci-fi author called Greg Egan, um, who writes a lot of stuff about the sort of uh, intersection between math, computers, and consciousness. And this felt like in about the second act, it slid from being a, a jokey workplace comedy into being a Greg Egan story. Um, and I was like, whoa, I can't believe this pulled that weird twist like halfway through and actually it wasn't even halfway through this thing went on for a while but like i i was i was blown away by that um so yeah this this is a really accomplished piece it's one of the it's like really really well done from a technical standpoint being a twine piece like it um you know it's it's got all the all the stuff that you look for in like a lengthy twine piece and it's got like nice use of text it saves and doesn't lose your save and lose your place. 
Um, and uh, it has, most importantly, I think, a story that really carried me through. It's sort of novella length, has real characters, many real characters and arcs. And uh, you do not expect that going in to a jokey thing about a spam bot. So I can't believe how much I like this thing. Many real characters is actually a, a compliment that I would typically not apply to Greg Egan's work. So uh, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I was about to say, it's so funny that you compare it to Greg Egan because the first half, the monitoring um, someone's emails workplace drama is a Rainbow Rabble book called Attachments. And it was funny because Fangirl was a huge inspiration for the game. I just reviewed Paradox. Hmm. So I, I was like, is this Rainbow Rowell hour? And then you started talking about sentience. So I was like, it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, Attachments is a book about a real person monitoring someone's work emails. And they kind of think it's a robot. But mm. he ends up falling in love with someone who he should be forwarding her emails to HR. Um, but he ends up falling in love with her instead. I should give that a shot because I do love Rainbow it's Rowell. It's cute. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Shane, you're right. Uh, Thomas was alone. Also, a bit of vibes of that. Although um, this has uh, – it, it has a sort of a different tone than that. But uh, I, I I can't recommend this highly enough. Uh, I really liked it a lot, um, which is very funny to say in that um, I, I read the uh, author's notes uh, that you unlock at the end of the game. And one of the things they said was uh, very self-deprecating, like, I'm so glad to be free of this. It's strange to have written something that I'm, I'm probably, I'm not, I'm, I'm approximating their quote, but they, they basically said like, uh, it's strange when you get to the end of writing something and realize you've created something that you, you wouldn't have enjoyed yourself. I would never read, I would never read this. I'm like, are you kidding? This was great. <laughs> um, but so hey, whatever. I think every game we covered today has an extent extensive walkthrough reference guide notes at the end um i yeah this is very minimally there's no there's no branching in this as far as mm. i can tell so there's no need for a walkthrough the interactivity mostly comes through the emails uh, okay. um being able to so there's like you know in in the narrative sequences there's there's things to click on where you can decide what you say in certain circ circumstances um but that's not really super important. The the only like the major interactions happen through the email interface where you are deciding whether to approve or reject certain emails. Got and it. even that, I don't think they have an effect on the plot. Uh, they have, you know, dialogue effects, but I don't I don't think they like steer the story. It's mostly a novella with an interactive email client uh, at its heart. Ah, oh, fair. I just assumed that you said you unlocked author's note at the end. It was kind of extra, but um, never oh, yeah, mind. No, that, that it's not is, a real trend. Yeah, no, that's that's that's. I mean, it's a it's a thing where if you uh, if you put the author's name into the uh, it, there's a there's a point at the beginning where you name the user the the main the, mm -hmm. and you know I just put in my name of course because because it's my computer in the 90s uh, and uh, uh, if you put in Leon Arnott's name it it unlocks a developer room where you can go and read his notes about the creation of the game and they were very interesting so mm. if you if you're curious very fun but they're spoilery so don't read them unless you finish the game. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that game. Do we have anything else to add about the comp in general uh, before we move on to what's making us happy? I would just say you only have to play five to rate. So hopefully we've steered you to something, but I also strongly encourage you to just look for keywords you like and the filters. We've, I think we've talked about them every episode, but the new filters are a gift from the heavens. Truly. We love nothing Indeed. more than a content filter. Oh, yes. 
to help us find games to review when, for example, you have an hour before you record and you want to add something else. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the, the comp page continues to get better and better every year. Um, little tweaks, you know, but, you know, bit by bit. But uh, many thanks to the team that runs the interactive fiction competition. They, they continue to make our jobs easier every year and make the comp a more enjoyable thing every single year. So if you want to participate in this year's comp, uh, quick recap, go to ifcomp.org and you'll find all of the games there. You can download or play them. Most of them will just play right in your browser if you want. Uh, you can, don't forget to, to vote. Uh, you can go to ifcomp.org slash ballot, I believe, or where is the, the page for, for voting? Well, you'll find a link to the actual voting ah, slash ballot slash vote is the page that actually lets you enter your votes. Don't forget to do that uh, and uh, make sure it, as you're adding your uh, your votes, you can also uh, add feedback to the authors themselves if you want. Uh, that's optional entirely. But if you would like, you can uh, add feedback to go along with your vote and the authors will see it. Try to be nice. As Laura said, you have to have at least five entries on your ballot for your ballot to count. Uh, and you have to have it in by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on November 15th. Uh, so that's coming right up. If you're listening to this on our regular feed, it'll be coming right down the pike. So, uh, uh, in fact, our episode here will be going out ooh, going on, out the day. on the 15th. Oh, boy. So uh, do it today. this is a Monday episode. So do it today if you're hearing my voice. And if you, if you haven't, uh, hurry up. Um, so, yeah, that's happening very soon. <laughs> And also, thanks very much to all of the authors in this year's comp. Uh, if we didn't get to your game, uh, apologies. It does not mean that we did not think your game was good or interesting. Uh, I am looking forward to checking all of them out as much as I can. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, authors whose works we covered, whose works we have not yet had an opportunity to cover. Um, thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Shane, what's making you happy this week? I have been uh, binging some movies, and so I will take this as sort of an opportunity to just um, dump some movie wrecks on you all. Um, sure. The first one is a movie called The Night House, and this one is a horror movie that is um, uh, it's David Bruckner, uh, is, who is – I don't think I've seen any of his other movies – Basically, this one is a unusual twist on um, some kind of classic horror tropes. Um, this has a, a, a it's basically about a, a widow who is, you know, she's recently lost uh, her husband who is an architect and she is learning all of these disturbing things about him. Um, and it really was very surprising to me. It was, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, I, this one's a hard one to, I'm going to move on to my next rec because this, this is a a easy to spoil movie. Uh, but it is, uh, it is a good one if you enjoy, uh, supernatural horror or anything in that or psychological horror, I guess. Also recently, uh, in the same kind of horror vein, this is me kind of coming out of spooky season. This is, I think, our first November episode. Um, 
I, I finally caught the 2021 Candyman adaptation. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody else here has seen that one yet. Mm-hmm. That, this is my biggest. It was all right. I personally really enjoyed it. Um, so I, ha- I have always, I really liked the original um, Candyman movies, uh, but this one very wisely is pretty much just a follow-up to the original Candyman, which has held a, a ton of uh, meaning kind of through the years in the way that it adapted the story of kind of poverty in the uh, the projects in in Chicago, and it was a it's a fantastic movie even today. Um, this, of course, was this was directed by Nia DaCosta, but it was uh, produced uh, by Jordan Peele, of course, who directed Us and uh, the uh, what was the other one? Anyway, he he's. He's tremendous. And what I thought this one did extremely well, um, I mean, obviously, it, it, so it's it's maybe not a, a perfect movie, but it is definitely, it's a solid like eight or nine out of 10 for me in terms of these kinds of horror movies. Um, it is taking this movie that I, I loved and was really doing a social commentary at the time it came out in like the 90s. And it is recontextualizing that in a, in a modern context is really, really good incredible um, acting in it from uh, uh, several uh, great people. But in particular, I really like this guy, uh, Coleman Domingo, who is also in Zola. He's just, he's awesome. And uh, the only knock on this one I would have is that it kind of, um, one of the big selling points for Candyman and really also Candyman 2 for me is the fantastic soundtrack by Philip mm-hmm. Glass, the um, yeah. kind of famous uh, kind of modern classical composer who just created this incredible, totally unique horror score. Um, the, the man is an absolute genius. This one does not live up to that, but it's not like they could have uh, easily dragged um, uh, Philip Glass onto this project, so yeah, uh, it, it really. Uh, I I was about to say dragged him out of the grave, but I'm not entirely sure if he's dead. <laughs> Sorry, I don't Philip. know either. I don't, I don't think know. he is. Think uh, he I'm going to check that now. No, I don't think he's dead. I was about to. I was about to. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's at least retired. What is Philip Glass doing today? PhilipGlass.com. He's busy being There's 84. No... Yes, he is. Um, his Symphony Number no. 13 will premiere at the National Arts Center of Ottawa this year. So he is alive. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Philip. And, uh, you know, since I'm just doing movie recommendation dumps, um, I'll also say check out The Green Knight. Uh, Reagan and I did Ooh. watch this oh, one yes. together. So, Reagan, what did you think of The Green Knight? I, I absolutely loved it. I loved it too. Um, it had been a very long time since I had revisited that story and it felt so modern and interesting that I thought surely this is highly embellished in terms of its, you know, its uh, content over the the original Arthurian, uh, you know, uh, poem, right? Nope. It's very, it's very beat for beat the poem. It's just really, really, really well told visually. And um, I, I think it's great. I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, great movie. Loved it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I knew I would like that one because when it comes to like Arthurian legends and high fantasy in general, 
Uh, that is my catnip. I I was on board from the moment I heard they were adapting it, but um, it is it, it, the tone of it was really unique. It had this sort of um, slow but beautiful tone that um, just really was full of these surprising scenes that were really given the space to breathe and to land. And uh, that was, uh, and also incredible soundtrack, great, great performances, a really, really good one. So, you know, uh, I have more movies that I could include, but I think three is probably the right number to, uh, to dump in my, in my recommendation dump here. Um, so I'll pass it on to whoever else has had something making them happy. Well, I'll just say that the thing also that's check out CryptoZoo. Happy... I I couldn't I couldn't stop myself. Check out CryptoZoo. <laughs> okay, thanks, Shane. Uh, that's actually timely because for me, the thing that's been making me happy is that I am in the process of uh, I don't have much to show for it yet, but I'm in the process of finally setting up a home theater setup that is like more than just like a TV in my open plan living room. Um, you know, we moved a couple of years ago into one of these big. Uh, you know, uh, suburby houses, and one of the one of the things that it has is a media room, uh, which we used promptly as a closet. Uh, but the media room, we're finally in the process. That's our our Christmas gift to ourselves. We're finally in the process of getting a big damn TV and a really big cushy, comfy recliny couch and all of the stuff, you know, surround sound, all of the, all of that stuff. Um. And this will be my first time having like a dedicated room like that ever. Um, I know it's like, you know, it's some suburby crap to have like a theater room in your house or whatever. And I'm, you know, but whatever. I'm very excited. I'm excited to to have a space that's designed specifically for watching movies on a really enormous screen and with surround sound, especially considering like. I don't go to movie theaters anymore. I have two children and we've been living in a pandemic. Uh, I, I actually got my opportunity to go to a movie theater for the first time in three years recently. Uh, we went and saw Dune while my uh, my in-laws were watching the kids or rather they were, they were asleep at their house. And uh, being able to go out to a movie and immerse myself in a movie was – I could say after three years, it was a revelation. So I'm hoping for more of a little bit of that uh, at home. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited. <laughs> so um, you, that's what you saw me Dune without me. You absolute shit. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, bud. We were yeah, holding out to maybe... see it in real IMAX. And then Eternals came in this weekend and cleared it. And now we're just, uh... and now we're just mourning that we can't. See it on the really it would have been good a good events. one, but like you know, we saw it in a in a regular theater. But that, I guess that is the secondary making me happy is that um, the fact that Dune, uh, a thing that I have loved since I was a teenager, has been the thing everyone has been talking about on Twitter for weeks now. Uh, I love that. I love to talk about Dune. I love this. Please for you. talk to me about Dune. It's been great. Um, so the movie, I I really enjoyed it. I, uh, it's, you know, not a perfect adaptation and, you know, there's always going to be flaws in these things, but it's, I think the best Dune adaptation that we can expect. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to the second part. And I immediately went and, uh, read, I did the audiobook of Dune, probably my, I would, if I had to guess maybe seventh time through that novel in my lifetime and, uh, enjoyed it just as much as I always have. So, uh, thumbs up to Dune. Making me happy. Laura, what's making you happy this week? 
So uh, before I go into book recs, uh, I wanted to say that I went to a wedding in London, and one of the shows I saw was Showstoppers, the improvised musical, which apparently has been a thing in the UK for 11 years, but it is not something you can replicate because it's like four people who do it and no one else can do it because it's so hard to improvise a musical. That is impossible. Um, No, I saw it. It's real. Um. <laughs> I don't believe you. So what happens is the audience suggests um, three different things that could be about. I think someone was like a kebab shop, a school inspections, and I don't know, stationary. No one liked the other one. And then you vote on the group. Everyone picks who picks school inspections. And then people randomly get called on and they name each can name a musical. And so we had Mamma Mia, West Side Story, Book of Mormon, and Come From Away. And then someone names it and they chose the name only schools and courses because only pools and courses is a UK show. So like that was a UK joke and everyone loved it. And then they just start the show. There's a band on stage. There's a bunch of actors. They're all wearing kind of like units at clothing. And at some point the band will start playing a song and people will sing it. And like then other people start dancing and they all do choreography together and they do duets. And sometimes – uh, a scene is going on and the actors are talking about something and the band will start playing and the moderator guy will stop and be like, and now they're going to sing a song in the style of West Side Story. And then suddenly it's the Tonight Duet and they have to improvise a <laughs> in like the story point about like, you know, it, this ended up weirdly having this like oddly like a guy was dating his uh father's mistress it was very weird <laughs> the plot got out of control um but i'm s still laughing at some of the jokes and that was a month ago it is one of the most astonishing magical things i've ever seen um that's incredible it tours the uk all the time it's just one of those things that i am flabbergasted it existed and it was one of the best returns to live theater i could have planned if you don't live in the UK and there's not a live stream happening um, where they take online suggestions. Uh, I suggest that you do something very different and read another one in my series of Laura tries to read non-Western inspired fantasy books. <laughs> um, this one is the Poppy War trilogy, which is Chinese shamanism. And it's rad and it's incredibly violent because it's not actually YA. It's full grown adults. But everybody's 18, so they make bad decisions. Um, and it's not adult because it's sexy. It's adult because there's, like, cadavers everywhere. Um, it is one of the most strategic, military-focused books I've read in a long time. The author said she wrote the books of, what if Mao Zedong was a 16-year-old girl and also had firepowers? <laughs> What if? What if? You got to read the book. I'm I'm gobbling these books up um, at an unhealthy pace. I'm about to hit the third in the trilogy. Um, awesome. You are a reliable source of book recs, so uh, I'm adding this to my Goodreads right now. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, I it's mean, uh, fantastic to, to have an unlikable protagonist that you're just like, oh, there are so many bad decisions being made, but I'm here on your terrible quest for vengeance. <laughs> Well, Laura, thank you for the book wreck. Uh, and Shane, thank you for the movie wrecks. 
And listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, which is where you'll find all of our stuff. You'll find our contact form. Great way to drop us a line and let us know what you're playing. We're rolling into G-O-T-Y season. So this is a really good time if you've got the last minute thing like, I can't believe they haven't covered X yet. Uh, this is your last chance, man. Let us know. Uh, important time for that sort of thing. And um, I would also- like to interject that um as we roll into game of the year season i have found my game of the year most likely and it is inscription and we are covering it and uh i would say i don't always get to tell people ahead of time when we're when we're about to cover something that i really like so hey check it out inscription yeah, yeah. with a y yeah we're definitely uh, i think our next two games are uh unpacking uh, which is getting a lot of good press right now, and I'm really enjoying. I'm almost done with and inscription, which I'm also almost done with, and I almost agree with Shane. I haven't I haven't gotten far enough to call it a goty yet, but it's also very very good. So couple couple of really interesting games coming up. Uh, if you want to check those out with us, uh, you can find our uh, contact form on the web. Uh, you can find a link to our Patreon. Uh, the short game is patron supported, and uh, all of our patrons at even a dollar a month uh, get access to our Discord. That's where we chat about the games that we're playing uh if you want to talk to us about if comp or about a the game of the year season you know how we're making our our choices or if you want to just come in and chat uh it's a nice casual place to do that so we'd be uh, very overjoyed to have you please join us there uh, and of course if you join at the five dollar level i will send you stickers with our beautiful logo on it and you can put them on your water bottles or laptops or switches or whatever and feel very cool everyone will ask you what is the short game and you can tell them all about it and we'll appreciate that too so do that uh let's see you can find us on twitter at underscore short game and you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k and shane where can people find you you can find me on twitter at 8-bit shane and laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and listeners thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game